This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to the Morning Bulletin podcast where we round up all the big headlines from overnight concerning Liverpool FC. And to help me run through those headlines, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on this podcast for the first time by a Blood Red regular and that's Theo Squires. How are you, mate? Not too bad, cheers, Willow. How are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. I do appreciate you taking the time out from manning the Liverpool Echoes, uh, Liverpool FC blog today. Uh, we will come to that in a moment, but we'll we'll start, if that's okay, with a, a story that appeared on the site last night, starting two people who we always find evoke interest from our readers, and that's Brendan Rodgers and Richard Keyes. Yeah, basically, um, fans with a good memory might remember Richard Keyes made some comments around the time Stephen Gerrard left Liverpool. Obviously, that's five years ago now saying that he believed there was a plot from Brendan Rodgers to force the Liverpool legend, the Liverpool captain, out of the club. Um, he doesn't really go on to expand on what this plot was at the time. Um, we can only imagine that it was speculation that Gerrard was after his job in the long term, where we all know Stephen Gerrard would love to be Liverpool manager at some point, but Gerrard and Rodgers had this great relationship. Uh, Richard Keyes he pointed out that he'd had it sent back to his attention, and he, he seemed a little bit embarrassed about it. But obviously, he had to bring it up in front of Rogers. He had to get Rogers' reaction. And Brendan's just basically laughed it off, saying, Stephen Gerrard was a great player for me. He's not said the word character or anything. He's just said he was brilliant for me during my time there, especially in the first couple of years. It's towards the latter stage of his career, but he was always first class. Um, there's a lot of talk and gossip in papers, whatever. People have opinions. It just wasn't true. Um, whether there was a real, really a plot to get Gerrard out, only Rogers will know deep down. Obviously, he left Liverpool a few months after Gerrard himself. Um, but one thing that's interesting is from Keyes as well. He's come out and said, oh, a part of this, uh, if he wasn't, he should have been the previous year, then he wouldn't have slipped over. So he couldn't <laughs> help himself, could he? He still <laughs> have a dig at Stephen Gerrard. Suggest he shouldn't have been at Liverpool. He wouldn't have fallen over and they'd have won the league in 2014. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he is a case. There's no doubt about it, Richard Keyes. I say, like, he always evokes interest from our readers because, again, without pulling uh, the curtain up too much, like, obviously, we can see how many people are on our stories at different times. And, yeah, he definitely uh, piques the interest, Richard Keyes, without a question. Uh, now to Brendan Rodgers' successor at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp. We all know that the squad are returning to Melwood today for small group training sessions. And he's been speaking to the club's official website last night. And we've been picking out some of the highlights for, for our own own site. What's he been saying for you? Um, basically, what you can imagine, Liverpool are going to be returning to Anfield and they're going to be playing in front of a closed doors stadium. There's not okay. going to be any fans and pretty obvious, he said, his team will miss the best kick in your ass with the Anfield crowd. <laughs> Hopefully we can say that on this podcast. I think we'll be um, alright with that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just a whole load of quotes where he's basically saying how Liverpool will miss that kick and the boost they can get from Anfield like we all know when he first joined the club. Uh, it was a bugbear of him, fans leaving early. And then when Liverpool got that late draw against West Brom, going and applauding in front of the fans, doing their little lap at the end. And now it's been a regular occurrence, isn't it? Pretty much every game ever since then, he's always sell, um, applauding every corner of the Anfield crowd, doing the bumps and stuff. And you can imagine what it means to Liverpool to not have their fans there. Granted, they want to just be back playing football. But that's the headline on this. Liverpool will miss those fans. But they've still got to be focused. They've still got to find a way to win games. And we all know they only need two wins, don't they, to win the Premier League. But for Jürgen Klopp, it's not they only need to win just two games or only two games. They need to win two games. He's still being very professional here, getting it done right. 
and it's what you want to hear from the Liverpool manager. It would be easy to let your mind slip or to be complacent after two months without football. But Liverpool still got a title to win, still got a job to do, and being very professional about it. And it's just what you want to hear from your manager when you've got all this uncertainty going on and there's still a title to be won. Definitely, mate. You say uncertainty because there still is this uncertainty. Uh, it emerged last night that I think one player and two staff members at Watford were among the six positive Premier League tests for coronavirus and another being Burnley assistant manager Ian Wone is, who is from around these parts himself. Uh, I think a total of 748 tests were taken across 19 clubs because Norwich are getting their results today. So six doesn't seem that much in the grand scheme of things. But uh, just point you to a report in the Times today that it's, it's the situation at Watford that seems to be causing a few concerns for the Pro- Premier League's proposed restart fail. Yeah, basically, I think a player and two members of staff have tested positive, like you said. And um, club captain Droy Deeney has been very vocal about this in the past, saying he doesn't think it should return. He doesn't think it's right that football should return when health is still such a concern. He's already said that he won't be reporting back for duty. And I believe there's another report doing the rounds this morning saying there's another like three Watford players that will be doing the same. Troy wow. um, Deeney's got a five-month-old son who suffers with respiratory problems. So you can understand why he's taken that decision. But it does sort of leave that debate open again, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. If one player doesn't want to play and he's made that decision and Troy Deeney has always been very vocal, then it's easier for others to go, actually, I feel the same way. Someone's made this stance and I want to as well. Um, it's very interesting that it's Watford that a club involved here because, granted, they have legitimate reasons, obviously considering health and all that. Like One of their players, their coaches, have tested positive. I understand why they won't want to risk their own health and their own family's health. But if the season doesn't get underway, I think they've been in this relegation battle, haven't they, the whole season. Nigel Pearson sort of got them back out of it. And it's one of those, well, how do you decide this? Do they get, do you just say no relegation or you null and void the season and they stay up? Or do they get sent down anyway? Do they get relegated anyway? Uh, you can understand why it's on two sides here. But from Troy Deeney's point of view, I think it's pretty legitimate here. If you've got a five-month-old son, you can understand completely why he doesn't want to jeopardise his health. And it just makes it, it's like, you take two steps forward, one step back. Football might seem like it's close, but when you've still got issues like this, you've still got people testing positive, it doesn't matter if it's only six or seven out of however many hundred. All it takes is one of them to come into contact with someone who doesn't have it and it can spread again. Very well said, mate. I've, I've always thought that there's been a lot of talk about neutral grounds and the problems about playing not at your home ground and the, the sporting integrity. I do think it's, it's it's the health and safety of the players, the managers and the staff that could be could be the big thing to overcome here. So, yeah, totally agree with what you, you said there, mate. Uh, just on to our next headline, away from coronavirus. This is something, I don't know about you, i completely forgotten about, and that's Manchester okay. City's two-year ban from European football. But there has been a bit of an update. Yeah, their appeal will begin on the 8th of June, which certainly seems very close. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, they're not going to be able to go away and do it properly. They're going to have to do it virtually on video conference. Those are the travel restrictions. Um, but City have always denied that they've breached anything and said it's not true. Um, UEFA are investigating this period between 2012 and 2016, saying they broke rules by overstating its sponsorship revenue in its accounts. Um, it's one with City, it's almost like well, football's all going to be up in the air a bit because of uh, coronavirus. We don't know when the Champions League's going to be finished this year, never mind when it's going to be played next year. Just a two-year ban sort of become three years, just because of how it's stretched mm-hmm. over. Or It's one where if you can't play sign players because they don't want to go to your club because of Champions League football's not there well who's going to spend 200 million on Raheem Sterling because he wants to leave to play Champions League football 
it's almost given them not a boost, but it's made it a bit more secure for them because their rivals can't strengthen and it's going to be harder for their players to leave. And I think there's always been this belief underneath it that it probably won't stay as a two-year ban, let's be honest, when the UEFA or whatever have the bans upheld as such, it normally gets reduced. We saw that with Chelsea's transfer ban, didn't we, um, at the start of the year, getting reduced by a window. Um, City is still adamant they've not done anything wrong. UEFA say they have. It's one to keep an eye on. But who knows? It's just interesting that it's going to be heard very swiftly when we don't even know when European football's going to get back underway in the context of Champions League, Europa League and next season. Definitely. It's, uh, yeah, it could be a bit another, a different kind of minefield, that one. Uh, and, and it goes to show that with obviously everyone's focus and attention on what's happening in the world and society at large and how that impacts on football, but the kind of day-to-day things like that in football, appeals and transfer speculation does continue and, and that just kind of leads us on to our final headline. It's a, it's a post on our Liverpool FC live blog this morning, which I said earlier, you are manning for us today and it, it concerns talks that Jurgen Klopp has reportedly had with Timo Werner and, if, and what he might have had to say to the, to the Leipzig striker. Yeah, this one's an interesting one because obviously Jurgen Klopp is trying to sign Timo Werner. He's been on the phone to him. Um, you could imagine Leipzig wouldn't be too happy with it because we've seen it in the past with Virgil van Dijk reportedly meeting with Jurgen Klopp and that's why Southampton were very unhappy at the time and the deal took that extra six months to get over the line. But people don't seem to care anymore um, when there's this contact because you often hear managers have been on the phone to players and they're trying to sound them out about transfers and stuff. But there is one interesting line in this and it's um, Hopper's turn, Werner, his plans for his club, his project at Anfield and outlined the striker's role at Anfield. Now, obviously, Klopp is such an important figure at Liverpool. He's such a key figure. And if you are any player on the planet, if you're not quite sold on playing for Liverpool, then there's something wrong with you for starters because they are the best team on the planet at the moment. But Jurgen Klopp is going to seal the deal, isn't he? And if he's that keen to speak to you, you're going to listen. You're going to feel proud about that. And we've all heard Timo Werner speak however many times over the past few months saying how key, yeah, happy he'd be played to play for Liverpool. There's been a differing reports about where he could go, the interest. He seems determined that he wants to go to Anfield. Um, whether it happens this summer, we don't know, because obviously everything remains up in the air. But it's just an interesting one that Jurgen Klopp is still trying to sign players like Timo Werner. He's still got his project at Liverpool that he wants to complete. Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Mohamed Salah. It's one of the best front threes in Europe on the planet. But he's not resting on his laurels. He still wants to improve it, still wants to move forward. And he's got his new contract, so he's looking to the future. Now, I watched um, Leipzig's return to Bundesliga action on the weekend, and they drew one all. And Timo Werner, he had a very interesting role because he started sort of from left in this 3-4-3 formation. He didn't stay there. He was all over the shop. And granted, he didn't score. He looked a Liverpool player. He looked a Jurgen Klopp player. But he looked very frustrated as well. I think Leipzig had over 20 chances in this game. They only scored one. His strike partner, Yusuf Paulson, missed a hat full of chances. And Werner was creating a number of them. He had a couple of chances to score himself. He was unlucky not to score. It was good saves from the goalkeeper. It was more this creative force and that screams to me that he would suit Liverpool because it's not a case of you sign him, here's your number nine, where do you play him and Roberto Firmino? It's one where you could put him on the left, you could put him on the right, you could put him up front, in front of Firmino and it would click because he was moving all over the pitch and if he can do this creative role, he's still pressing, he's still harrying defenders, he does look a fit and you can see why Jürgen Klopp would be keen to sign him, why he could see him as part of this project 
and why he would want to outline the striker's role at Anfield. Because it would be very easy to say to any striker, yes, I want you to come, but you are not getting past this front three unless one of them's injured or badly out of form. So it's an interesting one and it's one to keep an eye on. But we've been saying that for over a year now, haven't we? Anything to do with Timo Werner is one to keep your eye on. And unfortunately, if a pandemic means that we have to wait another year, it might be one where we've got another 12 months of speculation to let the wait on. <laughs> it's Nabi Cater part two all over again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no. yeah, very much so. That definitely whetted the appetite, I'm sure, for any Liverpool supporters listening to there, how Werner played for Leipzig at the weekend. And the great thing is we're going to see a lot more of the Bundesliga over these next few weeks before hopefully the Premier League returns. First and foremost, thanks very much, Theo, for, for joining us on the podcast again. Love to have you on again, mate. No worries. Thanks for having us. That's all your headlines for today. But before we go, on this day in 1989, Liverpool beat Everton in the second All-Merseyside FA Cup final, 3-2 after extra time. And what was a really emotional afternoon at Wembley, given the match came just five weeks after the Hillsborough disaster. Thanks for listening for everyone at home or at work. And bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.